welcome to The Scientist Speaks, a podcast produced by the Scientist Creative Services team. Our podcast is by scientists and for scientists. Once a month, we bring you the stories behind newsworthy molecular biology research. This episode is brought to you by Integrated DNA Technologies, that is a leader in the development and manufacture of products for research and diagnostic life sciences. As one of the world's largest suppliers of custom nucleic acids, IDT serves the academic research, biotechnology, and pharmaceutical development communities with products that support applications including synthetic biology, next-generation sequencing, gene amplification, SNP detection, expression profiling, and gene quantification. The cell is a fundamental unit of life capable of metabolism, synthesizing biological molecules, harnessing energy, and replicating. To understand how life works, researchers elucidate every detail related to cellular function and determine which processes are essential. With this information, scientists constructed the first synthetic minimal cell that encoded only the genes necessary for life in laboratory conditions. In this episode narrated by Nikki Spahich, Sejal Dawla from the Scientist Creative Services team spoke with John Glass, a professor and leader of the Synthetic Biology and Bioenergy Group at the J. Craig Venter Institute, about how his team achieved this scientific milestone and its significance in understanding life itself. question, what is life, is as old as life itself. Over a century ago, some scientists thought they could discover the fundamental principles of life if they could map and understand every molecular process in a cell. In the early 20th century, biophysicists Max Delbruck and Erwin Schrödinger envisioned accomplishing this by creating a minimal bacterial cell, the simplest living entity possible. By producing a cell that contained the minimum set of genes essential for life, one could answer important questions about biology including how cell membranes, metabolism, and higher organisms evolved. A century ago, scientists did not have the technology or knowledge to develop this cell. However, the genome sequencing revolution has allowed modern-day biologists to take up the challenge. In the mid-1990s, Craig Venter became interested in this notion. He assembled a team. First, they developed whole genome sequencing, and then they started developing methods that would enable us to produce a bacterial cell that only had the minimum set of genes necessary for growth in pure laboratory culture. The organisms they chose to use as a platform are a group of unusual bacteria called mycoplasmas. Mycoplasmas evolved from more complicated bacteria, but they typically always live in a parasitic existence, usually like in a mammalian or fish or reptile lung or urogenital system. The environment is so stable that they can throw away most of their genes. Mycoplasmas are as close as you can come to a minimal cell existing in nature. Mycoplasma descended from free-living bacteria with bigger genomes. They lost most of their genes while adopting a parasitic lifestyle because their hosts could provide most of what the bacteria needed to survive. 
Mycoplasma mycoides, a species dwelling in the goat urogenital system, has one of the smallest genomes among all living bacteria. Despite this, the bacterium carries genes necessary for cellular functions common to all organisms, such as DNA replication, RNA transcription, and protein synthesis. While it has an unusually small genome, researchers consider Mycoplasma mycoides to be only a near-minimal cell because it still has some genes that are non-essential for cell survival and growth. A completely minimal cell would contain only the essential genes, where the removal of any of those genes would cause cell death. The researchers at the J. Craig Venter Institute wondered, could they make an even smaller genome? So they sequenced the near-minimal Mycoplasma mycoides genome and set out to identify non-essential genes that did not affect the growth and viability of the cell in laboratory cell culture. To do this, they initially made a near-exact copy of the Mycoplasma mycoides genome and used it as a template to build the first artificial cell called wild-type JCVI-SYN 1.0. This cell has only 908 genes. In comparison, E. coli has around 4,500 genes. Glass then disrupted individual genes and assessed the cell's ability to grow in laboratory conditions. For the minimal cell, we take a piece of DNA called a transposon. These are jumping genes. You can take this transposon and chemically insert it into cells. The transposon that we make has an antibiotic resistance gene in it so that it makes the cells resistant to tetracycline. The transposon will jump randomly all over the genome. Any cell that gets a transposon in a gene essential for life will die. But if the transposon goes into a gene not essential for life, not only does the cell live, but the cell is now resistant to the antibiotic tetracycline. We do genome sequencing to identify all of the sites where transposons have inserted into genes in our wild-type organism. Based on that, we know that wherever there's a transposon, that gene is non-essential. And so we would take that out of the genome that we designed to make a minimal cell. We build synthetic DNA molecules from jars of the four chemicals. We make oligonucleotides, short pieces of single-stranded DNA that contain about 70 bases. Using those oligos, we use enzymes to assemble them into large pieces of DNA, 10,000 base pairs. Then we assemble those at overlapping pieces into 100,000 base pair pieces. We insert these 100,000 base pair pieces into yeast, Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Yeast will take these overlapping pieces and precisely put them together to make a circular bacterial chromosome. By piecing together the mycoplasma essential genes, Glass and his colleagues built a minimal circular DNA genome that was half as small as the original JCVI-SYN 1.0. To insert this synthetic minimal genome into a new cell, the researchers used a technique called genome transplantation and installed it into a recipient cell that had its own genome removed. With this method, researchers set up a strenuous design-build test cycle, a common process in synthetic biology, to test artificial cells for viability and growth. After 13 years of brutal labor and developing synthetic biology methods, in 2016, we produced the world's first true minimal bacterial cell. This was called JCVI 
SIN 3.0. We identified 492 genes that we wanted to keep in the minimal cell genome out of 908 in the wild type organism. We synthesized that genome. We treat a recipient cell of a closely related species with some chemicals that makes it take up that genome and then treat the resulting cell with tetracycline because the genome has a tetracycline marker in it. JCVI SYN 3.0 has fewer genes than any free-living organism and proliferates in a laboratory culture medium that supplies its essential nutrients. Surprisingly, out of 438 protein-coding genes in the minimal cell, 149 of them have unknown functions, reinforcing the notion that many biological processes remain a black box to scientists. Through developing and studying the minimal cell, scientists want to redefine the basic principles of cell biology so that the functions of all genes and cellular components are fully understood. Using interdisciplinary tools in protein biochemistry and computational structure-function predictions, researchers are determining the functions of all the proteins present in the minimal cell, including the 149 unknown genes. For example, Glass and his colleagues learned that some of the unknown genes encode enzymes that have unknown substrates and transporters for unknown metabolites. The goal of the minimal cell community is to build a computational model of metabolic processes and protein-protein interactions encompassing all the biophysical and chemical properties of the minimal cell. The first cells on Earth likely consisted of an RNA genome encased in a membrane. Evolutionary biologists postulated that one or a group of these cells eventually gave rise to the ancestor of all cellular life which contained only essential genes and lacked a nucleus and other membrane-bound organelles. Researchers are currently using the minimal JCVI SYN 3.0 cell as a model system to address questions such as what primordial cells looked like and how they performed essential functions, such as genome organization. Compacting DNA into dense chromatin occurs in all living organisms and is necessary to confine the genome in a specific cellular space, protect it from damage, and regulate gene expression. Modern-day bacteria encode DNA-binding proteins that form chromatin. One such protein is bacterial histone-like protein, or HU. Bacteria make at least 10,000 copies of this protein, and the amount of HU determines gene transcription rates. When Glass compared the number of HU proteins in the minimal cell to the wild-type mycoplasma mycoides, he made a surprising discovery. In the wild-type organism, the gene immediately upstream of bacterial histone-like protein was not essential. So we took it out. When we made the cell, we did proteomics studies where we quantified the number of each different kind of protein in the cell. In the wild type organism, they're 10 to 30,000. In the minimal cell, they're 28, vastly, vastly lower. We have a collaborator. His name is Remus Dame at Leiden University in the Netherlands. What they try to do is figure out long-range DNA interactions in chromosomes. There are places in the genome where pieces of DNA that may be thousands of base pairs apart interact with each other. Even in bacteria, have these interactions. The minimal cell had none. Zip. What we think we may have accidentally done is built a cell that mimics what primordial life may have looked like before the evolution of chromatin 
to sheath the DNA and compact it. We're going to be studying and making some mutants in the minimal cell to try to investigate this further. The minimal cell and its precursors help researchers understand the evolution of cell division and reproduction. JCVI SYN 3.0 does not divide like a modern bacterial cell. Most bacteria reproduce by cell division or binary fission, generating offspring genetically and morphologically identical to the parent. Glass and his collaborators found that genome reduction changed the reproductive behavior and cellular morphology of JCVI SYN 3.0. The minimal cell replicates its genome, but it does not divide. Over time, it forms a long tube that looks like a piece of spaghetti carrying hundreds of genomes. These long tubes often break, forming cells that can assume filamentous, round, or irregular morphologies. Because of this observation, Glass believes that minimal cells reproduce without any cell division machinery, which might be similar to primordial cells that had yet to evolve cell division. In building the minimal cell, we produced some sub-minimal cells. We had a mutant that had 19 more genes than JCVI-SYN 3.0. This was called JCVI-SYN 3A. We looked at it in the microscope, and it divides like a normal bacterial cell. One or more of these 19 additional genes is necessary to achieve modern cell division. We looked at the 19 genes, and we realized two of them were really well-known genes involved in cell division. And we said, aha, we just add these two genes back, and the cell will divide normally. We did that, and it didn't. It still looked completely bizarre. Turns out it's those two genes and five other genes of completely unknown function that are conserved in basically all bacteria. And so here's another case that accidentally we created a cell that may have recapitulated what cells looked like before the evolution of modern cell division. And I think that is so cool. We and a bunch of other people are now scrambling to try to figure out what these five proteins do. By successfully creating a cell with a synthetic genome that replicates in laboratory conditions, researchers now aim to design and create artificial organisms that benefit humankind. Food scarcity is a huge global problem. Synthetic biology offers a sustainable solution through novel organisms that improve food production without causing environmental risk. In the presence of sunlight, plants assimilate atmospheric carbon dioxide into an organic food source through the products of specialized carbon fixation genes. Efficient carbon fixation increases plant food yield, contributing to greater food security and environmental stabilization through reduced atmospheric carbon dioxide. Therefore, increasing carbon fixation rates is a major goal for researchers working towards food sustainability. Glass and his collaborators envision achieving this goal through studying the minimal cell. I have a project with a group in Germany. They invented a novel carbon fixation system called KETCH. It's an acronym for all the genes involved. 19 genes from nine different species, and it is more efficient than the Calvin cycle, which is the way most of carbon fixation happens on Earth. They have only been able to make this work in cell-free extracts, where you take bacterial cells and you get the cytoplasm from inside the cell and you put DNA plasmids that encode the genes. We are taking our minimal cell and installing all of these 19 genes in it to see if we can understand how this carbon fixation pathway interacts 
with the fundamental machinery of life. Based on that information in a simple cell, we may be able to build a photosynthetic organism that is better at fixing carbon than anything on Earth. Physicists used hydrogen, the simplest of all atoms, to determine the fundamental laws in physics that describe things such as gravity, motion, and energy conservation. To formulate the fundamental laws governing all biological phenomena is a dream of biologists. The minimal cell is like the hydrogen atom, offering researchers a platform to unravel the secrets of cellular life. Thank you for listening to The Scientist Speaks. This episode was produced by the Creative Services team for The Scientist and narrated by Nikki Spahage. And thanks to Integrated DNA Technologies for sponsoring this episode. Please join us next month as we learn how scientists use organs on chips to study viruses including influenza and SARS-CoV-2. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.